everybody. Welcome back to the Exponential Finance Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to be here with Rohit Tanecha, who's the founder and CEO of Decentral, an Indian open banking platform. Uh, hello, Rohit. Welcome to the show. Hello, It's very great to have you. And I looked at your profile. So after you graduated, you actually spent a couple of years in Tokyo. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Tokyo is like Japan. It's pretty close to my heart. Love the Japanese people. Uh, of course, I speak Japanese language as well. I learned their amazing country, must say, and amazing food as well. Because yeah, it was heartbreaking to come back, but uh, I had to, you know, to really start off. Yeah. <laughs> so you had this desire to create your own company, basically. And in 2014, you founded your first company, then sold in 2017. What was that covering? I think the final year of my campus, pretty much like every final year student. I went through that dilemma, you know, like what next, you know, <laughs> like uh, the campus is done, the university is done, you know, where next to go, you know, in the career. So of course, thought through a couple of scenarios, I had a desire to do masters, to go into R&D, but then I realized that most of the times, if you go to a masters or PhD, like your research may or may not be practically applied, you know, it might just become a research paper at the end of the day, something which I was not comfortable with, you know, so I said, it has to be really driven by impact. Like at the end of the day, people should feel that yes, you know, this is causing like a difference, like really making a difference in their lives. So yeah, so at that time I was thinking, okay, that you know, what should be the plan ahead? And uh, entrepreneurship came right at the top, you know, in terms of impact, but at the same time quite risky as well. So as a college final year, I was like really not sure, okay, that, that do I have the stomach, you know, to go for it right now? <laughs> and especially, you know, like without any like cash backup or you know savings in hand. So yeah, I said, okay, let's, let's let's do one thing. Let's maybe get some corporate experience. You know, let's learn from some smart people out there. Let's see how the market is evolving. And when I'm really passionate about one particular problem, I'll go and solve. So that's how the career started. I uh, went to work for Sony in Japan. And over those two years, I kept a very close track on the Indian ecosystem. And there was one pain point which I had faced in college, which was how do I really share money with my friends? In a very seamless and friendly manner. Uh, because money sharing has traditionally been very awkward. Like people don't like to have those money sharing conversations, you know, especially with friends and colleagues. So we said, okay, it has to be fun so that people don't feel awkward about that. Kind of what Venmo has done in the US. And yes, that was the inspiration. And I came back in 2014. This is the sole mission that, okay, you know, we need to solve this for India. Nobody has done it yet. And that's how it started. In terms of where these ties into the Indian infrastructure. What happened in India over the last 10 years is pretty amazing with the oh, yeah. Atar ID first. When did the unified payment interface came out and where did you start in relation to that? Is that time sure. or does this run in parallel? Yeah, it is actually, it is closely tied. So when we were starting out in 2014, when I came back, at that time, of course, nothing like UPI was there, right? It was very painful to do, you know, a bank API integration. It still is very painful. It's even more painful at that time. Because most of the banks were just in the phase of understanding what APIs are. You know, that they were not really open to that. <laughs> so UPI actually, I would say, it's actually like the inflection point for API banking. You know? Because when that happened, then banks started realizing the power of opening up APIs. You know? That's when they realized what smooth money flow can mean for the country. Like what leverage it can have, you know, for the economy. So that was an amazing thing to happen. And uh, for sure, like, we were one of the first few early adopters of UPI as a company when it came in, along with a couple of others, like PhonePay, JustPay, you know, others which were there. Without UPI, it would have been very tough for us you know, to scale up. So we leveraged that when it came in. So it came in 2015 as the early beta launch. Uh, in 2016, it went into production. 
uh, which also was the time of our scaling up. And then, yeah, in 2017, at least peak when we got acquired. You're saying just even despite UPI in place, it's still painful to get a banking connection. Why is it still so difficult? What UPI enabled was uh, primarily easy movement of money between banks. But this is something that a lot of people are late to because they are both consumers, they're not really building infrastructure. Uh, when they actually start building a company, then they realize that in order to use the APIs of UPI, you have to work with a bank. Like you cannot get the APIs directly from the government. So it's not really open source. It's like the banks are still the gatekeepers and you have to go through them, get the license, get the certification approved and then go forward. So at the end of the day, you have to work with a bank, like no question. <laughs> so that is where the whole challenge comes in. Because as pretty much everyone knows, like working with banks is a very painful thing, uh, both in terms of the technology and in terms of the business process. It still continues to be. <laughs> and so that is the problem that you're ultimately trying to solve with Decentral now? Absolutely. And what functionality do you introduce with Decentral to make it a smoother experience? So if you break down this, you know, banking integration, what happens is like, let us say, if I take my example, right, uh, when we were integrating the previous company with a bank, we took like six months to do one API integration, half of a year, just with one single bank or one single API, you know, <laughs> and it's not changed that much, right? Even like now it's four to five months average time that a company takes. It doesn't matter which one. And if you break it down, like if you break it down to the first principles of why does it take so long, the first few months are primarily consumed in the technology back and forth where you're consuming time in conversations with the tech team because something is broken in their documentation in the sandbox you know things are not clear there are bugs which are not supposed to happen the documentation says something else the code does something else you know <laughs> and it's fairly common <laughs> uh, and the reason for that is banks are not really product thinkers they're not product company. they they have been built around servicing consumers but not really building products and they don't really have that incentive, you know, to revamp the entire, you know, product architecture. So that's where the first few months go. And once you cross that hurdle, then you land in the, the business, the compliance and legal appeals, which is a whole different battle that, that you have to consume within two months. It's like, a, you know, something I tell a lot of people that you must have played that game, you know, on iPad, which is like Temple Run. It feels like that Temple Run. <laughs> you know, it's like you're running from one port to another port and you have to contact with all of them, you know, with all the departments in the back. But now, that's like the problem. Now, what we are solving there is, uh, since we know that this is the exact problem, we are standardizing, right? Because think of it as, you know, if we have, as a fintech company have done that once, there should be no reason for every fintech company to do that same thing over and over again. Because we can create a standardized layer on top of it to cover the first uh, technical component and also the next business component. Really open it up in the form of standard streamlining. A great analog to think of it is Amazon Web Services. At the back end of Amazon Web Services, you have these hundreds of thousands of different types of servers. Right? Now, since Amazon has done those integrations, every company gets a standard integration. It doesn't matter which server or which part of the world you are. That's exactly the way they're thinking about it. So you're essentially taking the experience that you've gained with the previous company where you had to go into all the detail yeah. and build the connections and create a standardized abstracted layer on top. So if I'm a fintech, I can go in and I have one interface and the 10 different flavors of different data standards formats, you're kind of hiding from me. If I look at possible competition or comparison, that would be like a true layer or a token type of company, yeah? 
Yeah, absolutely. Cruella, definitely. Uh, of course, I've been in a very different geography. Uh, then Galileo Financial in the US, right? Uh, also in the US. Okay. Of course, it's a super interesting market because I think everybody woke up when Visa paid $5 billion almost for plate. Uh, and that's not even API driven. It's mostly oh, yeah. screen scraping. So we have got the better technology. So primarily focused on the Indian market then at the moment? At the moment, yes. Uh, but uh, we do have a larger vision uh, because I see impact to be in a similar boat in the sense that in a lot of countries are evolving towards open banking. And in fact, India is turning out to be a role model you know, for a lot of countries in terms of APIs. So definitely, I think we are in a good place. And you were part of the Y Combinator batch now. And so that's part of your funding and you've raised your seat around essentially. Is that correct? That's right. You've chosen Bangalore because it is still and will never lose the status as the number one tech center in, in <laughs> India. But it's also the fight for talent is pretty hard, isn't it? How big is your team now and where did you get the people from? Yeah, I think Bangalore is uh, they're definitely major pros and cons, you know, of like really working in Bangalore. One of the things that really helps me out is that the weather is amazing, right? Which really makes sure that you know you are good state of mind, you know, at all times, you know, so you're not frustrated by the weather, you know, <laughs> random stuff isn't happening in the city. So that's a great thing. And yeah, that, that eventually translates to a lot of techies getting attracted because of opportunities and pay and everything, of course. From a random to, you know, talent perspective, it's more about the culture and really making sure that you create the right culture and then you attract the best people eventually. That's what we are aiming for. Uh, we're very small, right? We're just 12 people, definitely hiring more as we go along. Do you think that the culture you're building now is different from your first company because the business is different or because you've learned certain things that you want to do differently now? Good question, actually. So I think the first one was very heavily B2C oriented. Uh, we were building a mobile app and the frequency of iteration and the way we were thinking about it was very different. Like, because in B2C, like, there's this classic saying that, you know, it's like, it's mostly better to rely on your gut. You know, than to rely on what the customer is saying because the customers might say something but they might do something else. <laughs> but that doesn't work in B2B. In B2B, the good thing is like what your customer is saying, he'll actually do that, right? Because he's a business and you know, he's, uh, he's actually relying on you for his particular uh, software. So that, that's something which is very different. So we, we're now relying very heavily on our customers to understand what our roadmap should be and what our pipeline should be right, in terms of development and priorities. That's one fundamental difference. I think second is, I think the first one, at some point of time, I compromised on a couple of people, you know, in terms of hiring. So I wasn't really 100% proud of them. You know, maybe later after exiting and I, I would have probably had someone else instead of them at that point of time. But nonetheless, it worked out decently well at that time. And uh, I think this time I'm being, I'm setting the bar much higher, making sure that yes, only if I'm 100% comfortable that I take them on board, otherwise It could be startups, but it could also be obviously an established company that using your infrastructure. What are some of the initial use cases that you're seeing? Where's the wave coming from in India? I think in the early stages, we're definitely trying to uh, get as many fast-moving customers, fast-moving companies as possible. They act as great sources of feedback for us. So that's one. But yeah, eventually we are framing a path for uh, reaching out to the enterprises, which will give us a massive scale over time. At this point, there are quite a few customer categories that are coming inbound very heavily. And in fact, e-commerce is a great channel that's worked very well for us. So definitely, I think, 
from something we have done day and night, I would say, uh, on that front. And these tend to be like marketplaces and neomats, like if I were to name two categories. Yeah, these are like, I would say, the early adopting heavy categories for our case uh, as we start, yeah. Are you in a position where you're seeing you need to be selective given the, the scale with 12 people that you can't take every inquiry or every customer? So essentially you need to form an opinion on the ecosystem and what are possible clients who would grow fast so that you're growing fast as well? So we can, I mean, definitely we, in fact, we do not discriminate purely because of volumes, for sure. But we do take a call on the pipeline. Uh, so for example, we get uh, we get a lot of queries from outside India, you know, people who want to enter India mm-hmm. and build a new bank, right? And uh, so for that, some of the, for example, some of our features and product modules are not even ready you know, uh, for those use cases. So then we need to evaluate that, okay, how many customers are out there which are international, would we want to serve them? And, you know, at the risk of compromising on the bird quality of products. Like, so that's, that's a call that we actively take. And we want to make sure that, you know, we just do justice to our customers who have placed trust very early on. What do you think what kind of an estimate based on the experience so far compared to the five months in your first experience with your first startup using your technology and infrastructure? How much in terms of time spent effort in person days or also the time to market would it save using your infrastructure? Yeah, it's actually tenants, you know, and that's a metric that we uh, are very proud of and we do very closely track. We want to make sure that that 10x goes to even the 20x, you know, and even more as we go along. Uh, so if you actually do 10x that from five months, it comes down to two weeks, which is the exact timeline, you know, that our uh, early customers are taking when they went live. So yeah, that, that's, that's the experience that we have brought to the table. And it's much more streamlined where, you know, the the number of times they have to interact with a tech team goes down drastically because it becomes like a very intuitive sensor one. And we're trying to reduce those instances where, you know, we even need to disturb the tech team for any new integration. When the customer comes in, he is able to understand everything intuitively. Uh, you know, he's able to integrate on his own. When I look at Europe, many of the initial use cases were just account aggregation and banks were slow to offer premium APIs, let's say, beyond the scope that was in PSD2. What's the position of the Indian banks at this point? How open are they to open banking, right? Are they engaged and they see it as an opportunity in building more functionality that you can leverage? They do, actually. So interestingly, we have received, like, I think, good tailings in this year due to two reasons. One is, of course, there's a healthy competition between the banks. The banks, at the end of the day, are ultimately competing for customers, you know, and the volumes. Um, so the good thing is that the more banks open up their APIs, better the competition gets. Yeah? So then the banks are competing with each other to open up even more APIs. Although, of course, the quality is not changing, which is to our advantage because you know, we thrive on that. So that's one major tailwind that's coming. The second tailwind is COVID has actually accelerated the entire digital adoption journey. So now we have banks who have not got any customers, right, uh, physically on the branch channel because nobody's going back, right? So they're like really hungry to open up their APIs in as fast a time as possible, right? Uh, so like that entire digital journey that they had planned for five years, 10 years has now been compressed to six months. So that's an amazing second thing that happened, uh, yeah. When you look at the typical Indian consumer, and of course, right, it's a huge country, it's very diverse, different levels of wealth, but 
How many bank accounts would a typical Indian resident have? Very, very, very drastically. Because, you know, in India, that, that difference between the tier one, you know, and the lower cities is like very, very drastic. And most people underestimate that difference. It's like, it's huge. Like, uh, if you take the top 1% and bottom 90%. Yeah, so I think if you look at the tier one, like, you know, people like us live in the tier one metro cities and lead a very active, financially, you know, uh, stable life. Yeah, I think it's average, I would say, minimum two, two bank accounts, you know, huh. probably even more. Uh, you know, it might have gone higher now that new banks are coming in, so it could actually for sure go higher. <laughs> and in the villages and in tier two cities, I think more tier three cities, tier two is still decently well. Tier three for sure, it would be, I think, one, you know, and uh, I think people don't even have bank accounts, that's also there. Right. Probably less than one would be the average there. What is the landscape for new banks? Is there a specific regulatory regime that you can have a virtual banking license, like in Hong Kong or in Singapore? How does this work in India? India does not have a license yet, but something is in the works for sure, because RBI has been thinking for a long time. And now it's they're really getting this competitive pressure from like so many new banks trying to enter. So I think something will come out, but my hunch is it won't be as fast as people expect. It will take at least a couple of years. To really formalize, maybe even more. And uh, but yeah, uh, I think India might go for a virtual banking license at some point of time. Uh, that's my that's my gut feeling based on all that I've seen. But yeah, at this point of time, nothing like that. So uh, you have to ride on top of a bank, yeah, and then there's that. Also, ultimately, beyond open banking, I think I also saw that on your website. You've been talking about open finance or open data, right, in, in general. And can you describe that vision a bit more? The, so new banks are, even though they are a good category for us, right, but there are only a handful right, of new banks out there. And even more so, there will be a lot of M&A in this, active, in this segment, right? Ultimately, maybe 10 might survive, you know. <laughs> so we're not really relying on just the new banks as a category. I think this is a fundamental belief, which is actually something we very strongly believe in, is that most of the companies in the future, at some point in time, will have a significant portion of the revenue coming in from a segment of financial services, you know, uh, be it marketplaces, be it massive consuming consumer manufacturing, like Apple, Xiaomi, so on and so forth, right? So yeah, that, that's the more attractive thing, which I would say, you know, where customers are able to get their exact financial needs served where they need on the company they want. So, yeah, that's, that's the information that we had in it. And, yeah, really bullish on that. The case study that you've written about on Medium as well, with Suzel as a marketplace, yeah. which is ultimately then a much bigger market than the number of banks or neobanks that would be out there. So, so that's the Absolutely. direction it's going in. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what is your near-term roadmap? Because you talked about some of the banks or, or the neobanks that come and look at the market, you still have a functionality gap. So assume that needs to be addressed. And so there's some focus on filling that and then focus on India. At which point would you be looking at the next market? Yeah, I think it will happen sooner than we had thought. One of the things that we're figuring out is beyond uh, the current goals that we are already working on, and we have definitely good pipeline lined up, both in terms of uh, the number of customers and the product features, you know, uh, at least for the next, I would say, eight months to one year, you know, for the Indian market. Something we are trying to find out is that how best can we leverage this exist, uh, our, our stack, and try to 
replicate some of that success into some of the other models without, of course, getting too much distracted. And it will be in the sequential manner. So we will pick one of the markets outside India, preferably a developing you know, market, which is very fast going on both the banking side as well as the customer fintech side. And then try to see, like say, if there's a heavy demand for from the marketplace side, right? which is a strong category for us. Uh, and we do see that happening uh, in a couple of countries in Southeast Asia. So definitely try to leverage on that, bring us back to leverage the banking connections, and then get to it. So yeah, so that's, that's going to be an important aspect for us to decide. You know. Definitely, I think sometime in the next year, uh, yeah, you will see us in Mumbai countries as well. Yeah. India itself is a yeah, huge so market and is <laughs> developing so so quickly. But if you then take whatever Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia into this, you're getting very quickly to like a quarter at least of the world population, right? And yeah. uh, leaving China aside for a moment. Very, very exciting. Maybe one question just to roll back a bit. When you were looking at creating your next venture, was it based on the experience that you had with your first company, was it a foregone conclusion that you would now go and resolve these problems or did you think about other options as well? I have always been able to get attracted only to problems that I have faced myself. I see founders solve problems which are not in their domain, you know, which they have not faced but somebody else has faced. And mm-hmm. it's a good thing, you know, that works out, but it's very hard for me to relate to that, right? I can't relate to, you know, a problem that I've not faced, honestly. So that's one. That was a major deciding factor because this was something I faced personally in scaling the company, the previous mm-hmm. one. And I see that being faced, of course, everywhere else. That was one. But uh, actually, I did give fair thought to a lot of other challenges which we had faced. Like, for example, one of the things that we were evaluating is that how do you really do uh, the best, like, for, for a zero to one start, like when you're scaling from, zero to 10, you know, in terms of number of employees, there is no fixed marketing playbook, in the sense that the, on, more, not more than marketing, it's like there's no fixed growth playbook, you know, people take different growth strategies, you know, different work out of them. But I was thinking that is there some common trend that emerges out of it? And can we build a SaaS company based on that? Right? And maybe help other companies grow from zero to 10. So that is one thing, which I think can be a fantastic problem to solve. And uh, I do see a couple of people thinking on that front. Uh, so that's one idea I was evaluating. Then there was another one which was around crypto. Uh, I was thinking, okay, that thing. So I'm fascinated by blockchain. I played heavily into crypto and then, you know, turned it down a bit <laughs> after India like the lot of the crypto holdings. But yeah, so that is another fascinating thing. Blockchain in general is a wide scope, but then I think uh, it's still yet to find its footing in terms of scalability and it's still made for such a case. So yeah, that was another one. But finally, zero down on this one, which was more relatable, timing felt right, you know, and it definitely seems much more impactful. If you would like to share it with your followers, we are definitely open to new team members. So we are in that phase of really getting more smart people as we go along. And so we set the bar high and every time we hire, so it becomes, you know, looking for really much more smarter than even myself and everybody else in the team. So yeah, definitely something we would love to share, you know. Wonderful. This was great, Robert. Thank you very much for taking the time and sharing your story. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very you so much. much. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.